0: Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Your right standing with God. The right ways of God doing things. How to know if you've lived a good life. It's revealed from faith, baby faith, little faith, hardly no faith at all. Along the journey to bigger and better and stronger faith. From faith to faith, the righteousness of God, the right ways of doing things, the man that I want to become is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So if you don't live by faith, if you haven't started your faith journey, then you don't want to be there on your deathbed that day asking those questions. Because you don't want to hear the answer. We This is the second part of a series we began entitled By Faith. By Faith. And today's message is entitled An Extraordinary... Supernatural life of faith. An extraordinary, extra, bigger than ordinary, supernatural. See, we can either be ordinary or we can be extraordinary. But if we're extraordinary, then we'll see the super on our natural. Because God will get involved in this life of faith. The extraordinary, supernatural life of faith. To be able to look back and say, I lived by faith. Of course, I didn't always live by faith. I grew up in a rough neighborhood, and I had rough friends, and I was one of the roughest of them. (laughs) And I remember in the group that I ran with, if you made an A in high school, they'd make fun of you. In my high school, you were still supposed to make C's. That way you're showing the man that he don't control your brain. Education's for sissies, you know. You don't let anybody tell you what to do. And boy, if you wore one of them Ozod shirts with the alligator on it, they would beat you up. Because you was being a prep, you know, in my school. They wanted to... My grandmother gave me one of those nice $30 Ozod shirts for Christmas one year. And just to show my disdain, I ripped the alligator off and went to school with a big hole in my on the front of my shirt. That's how... I'm, let's just say it like this. I put the E in ignorant. <laughs> but that wasn't uncommon with all my friends that I hung around with. My only aspirations back in them days was to be the next Ted Nugent. You know, I didn't, have, I didn't know where I was going where I, and how to get there, you know. But I remember being in English class my 12th grade year. And I had mastered the art of sleeping with my head standing straight up. You know, throughout my high school days, I had learned to put my head on the desk and go to sleep. But now, so the teachers wouldn't find out, I'd put shades on, like them Burnt Reynolds mirror shades, you know, of the day. And they couldn't see my eyes, and I would be sitting there looking like I'm just paying attention to everything. She said, no, until I started snoring. And my, my English teacher was named Miss Williams. And I didn't like her, at least at first. She'd come over there and take them shades off say, Mr. Sheffield, you need to wake up. Pay attention. And she would embarrass me in class and stuff. And, and I was trying to be a rebel against her and everything. But then after class, she would say, Mr. Sheffield, I like that story you wrote. Because I'd always been a writer. I'd been writing, you know, uh, songs since I was way a little kid, and I always liked writing. And so I would write short stories and stuff, and I would share them with her because she was the English teacher. And she would always encourage me, you have a gift, son. And she would inspire me to be bigger and better to see that there's more to life. Last week, we talked about Abraham's incredible journey of faith. Well, we, talk, we didn't talk about his journey, did we? We talked about the end of his faith. We talked about his big faith, how he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. But we didn't hardly get to the part where he started off with the little faith. We just talked about the end results of his big faith. And so today we're going to go back and talk about the beginning and how his name was Abram at first. This was before God changed his name to Abraham. So what would we say about Abram's early life? If I could put it into sound effects, I would say it like this. Cricket. 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 Nothing. There's really nothing to talk about. Ordinary. His life was ordinary. He uh, got married to a a woman named Sarai. She couldn't have babies, so he had no kids. Uh, The Bible says he had a brother who died. Uh, So he had the normal pain and and suffering in life that we all go through. He had misery, but there's really nothing extraordinary about his life at all that we see. He just lived. He just accepted what came down the pike like... Most of us did before we met Jesus. We didn't know there was another way. He was 75 years old, still wearing those shades and sleeping with his head up. He didn't know any better. Just waiting for the bell to ring. You know what I mean? That's what I was doing. Waiting for that class to be over so I could go sleep in the next class. So Abraham was... Well Abram was very normal like most people who don't know Jesus 75 years. Anyone here feel too old to start your journey of faith? Because Abraham didn't start his till he was 75 years old. And we call him the father of the faith. The father of many nations. So from 75 on is when the party started. And he got all that done from 75 on. A a late start is better than no start at all. Ask the thief on the cross next to Jesus. And you will be able to ask him one day when you get to heaven. Because a late start helped him just fine. Let's talk about the truth. Y'all want to talk about truth for a minute. See, Abraham... Or Abram, i got to keep calling him Abram until he gets his name changed. Abram's father was named Terah. T-E-R-A-H, Terah. And towards the end of Terah's life, he had a desire to move to Canaan, the promised land. He was headed to Canaan, but he stopped just short and didn't make it. He died outside of the promised land. Because he had one big problem. And let's look in Joshua 24, verse 2, and find out why his dad couldn't make it to the promised land. Joshua comes along many years later, but he's still talking about this story. Joshua 24, 2. Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and they worshiped other gods. You will never find the promised land, my friend, until you first find the truth. You will never find the promised land until you first find the truth. And I believe you're here today because you have found the truth in Jesus and something inside of you is telling you you don't need to be ordinary anymore. Something is telling you, lighting a fire inside of you and a passion to pursue a true purpose in your life. You're called to be Extraordinary. Jesus said, I am the truth. And you want to know how to get to the promised land? He said, I'm the way. And he's the only possibility of living an extraordinary life. Because he is the life. Can I get an amen in this house of Jesus? I'm telling you about your Savior here. So do you really have a firm grasp on what is true in your life. Because the truth is important right. It will co- it'll make you come up short of the promised land. Or has the enemy duped you into living in a. Virtual world. Or an altered reality. You know they got those shows about the walking dead. And zombies and all that. For a reason. Because that's how most people feel these days. They've been duped. They don't understand what's true in this life. They're just following the masses and doing what everybody else does. Living ordinary. Got the shades on. Sleeping with their head up, Waiting for the bell to ring. (laughs) You seeking temporary pleasures and chasing things that in the big scheme of things don't matter? Like most people? What were you created for? As Forrest Gump would say, what's my destiny, mama? Don't don't you think that truth is important? Don't you think it's time we wake up and take those shades off and see the light that God wants us to walk in? What are the things that will matter to you on your deathbed? What are the truths that you don't want to look back and say, oh, I missed that? What is true in your life right now? Could it be a possibility that some of you think that you're here for one reason and really have no clue? You're just making that up. And it's not real at all. Is it a possibility? You know, when you can begin to believe Humble yourself just enough to believe that you don't know it all and it may be a possibility that I could be wrong. You at least open yourself up to the reality that there may be a higher truth than what you have previously thought. Am I making sense today? Okay, y'all just listening real hard. Y'all listening harder than I'm preaching. Do you feel the same about right and wrong as God does? Can you agree with God on most things or some things? Or do you agree with what God says about everything, even though you may not like it all? (laughs) Or are you still living in the world according to you? Like that movie, The World According to Garp. You're still living in the world according to Kaylee. No, she's not. She's living in the world according to its creator, Jesus. She's living in the real world. Not some show on TV called the real world. She's living in the real world. Because that real world ain't real at all. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing how? By the word of God. We're talking about living by faith. But what are you having faith in? If you don't know the truth, then what are you having faith in? Abraham, Abram's dad died short of the promised land for lack of truth. And we don't even know what happened to his brother, why his brother died, it doesn't tell us. But I can tell you this one thing. Chasing after a lie will often cause you to die early. If you don't know the truth, it could be detrimental to your health. I was talking to a little kid playing a video video game the other day. And I said, let me tell you about Jesus. He said, no, I'm playing my video game. I said, but this is important. He says, well, this is important too. I'm going to do this when I get big. (laughs) you expect that from a kid, right? You kind of understand that. But when you're in high school and wearing clothes like this will get you beat up, (laughs) having an alligator on your shirt, you begin at some point to say, you should start knowing better. You should grow up and get with the program. Get with the truth. Stop playing childish games. Faith requires you to come to an eternal truth. If you're going to live by faith, you've got to start dealing with the realities of eternity. Or your faith is misplaced and it will never be backed by the power of God. It will be a powerless faith if your faith is in, in someone other than Jesus, if it's in something other than the Word of God, you won't have the powerful backing of all of heaven on your side. You'll see no supernatural, extraordinary. You'll just have faith in meaningless things that don't matter. And that's not the kind of faith we want to have. Let's talk about comfort for a minute. That's what some of you wish, I would turn away and go the other way. Let's not talk about my comfort. Turn to Genesis 12. We'll see what God told Abram. Does anybody want to live an extraordinary supernatural life of faith? Or at least pique your interest in knowing that there's more. Genesis 12, 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country. Leave your relatives and your father's family and go to a land that I'll show you. Abram, get up off your barker lounger. But that's that's a a big command, to leave everything that you know, all your comforts. He could have lived the rest of his life there and been just fine. He would have thought. To him it seemed like, Man, this is upsetting me. Some of you are going through life changes right now on your faith journey. And you're tempted to get upset, but you've been walking with God long enough to know God is always going to move me somewhere new. God is always going to be doing something in my life. Sometimes it seems like a setback, but it's fixed to propel me into something great. Sometimes doing the right thing seems to cost you for a moment. Verse 2 says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. What a staggering promise to say that all of heaven's armies is with you, buddy. And if anybody comes against you, they're coming against me. How would you like to have God in your corner like that? All you got to do is step out and live a life of faith and trust Him. He's there for you. How dare you come against him? My servant. He said, if anybody blesses you, I'm going to bless them. All the families on the earth will be blessed because of you. And it has come to pass. He became the father of the faith, of the, of the many nations, of all who believe in Jesus have been blessed because God used him as an example of how the, to, the righteous live by faith. And we're studying him here today because he chose to get up off the Barker lounger and live by faith. This extraordinary, supernatural life of faith, he chose it. Over the comfort of just being like everybody else. And the Bible is chock full of promises for those who will believe and set out on a faith-filled journey. You activate the promises in this Word by faith, by a, a decision that I want to follow you. But somebody's saying, because y'all always, you already kind of read the fine print, but at what cost? What's it going to cost me? And it cost you. It cost you. Some people it cost them their lives. Some people it cost them everything. Some were sawn in half. Abraham was asked to give up his cushy life of safety and security and leave away from his family that was worshiping other gods, it says. To be a nomad and not to try to set up a permanent home in this temporary world. And see, some of us, we are so set on building our house in this temporary world that we can't see any eternal truths. We are blinded. We won't give up that house that, that we think is ours and we won't move on with God. We won't give up even the car. Some of us won't give up a flower bed that we've been working on if God asks us to. Because that's my kingdom. That's what I do. And if it comes to church or watering your flowers, you're going to choose watering your flowers. Let me not get too personal. Faith requires a willingness to be obedient. Faith requires a willingness to be obedient. And it also requires a willingness to sacrifice. Anybody, anybody can live adrift at the mercy of the wind and waves tossed about by every wind of doctrine. But an extraordinary supernatural life of faith only comes to those willing to leave the shadows, to leave the shallow water, and to go out into the deep and set out for Canaan with a new captain at the helm. Jesus. you got to be willing. Old Tom Hanks that was in the movie Private Ryan, he was in another movie with a, with a volleyball named Wilson. He could have stayed on that island, couldn't he? But no, he set out for the deep. He set out into the unknown. I don't know why this is movies coming to me. On the chance that he would be rescued. But he knew he couldn't live there on that island anymore. Anybody can stumble down the wide path to ordinary. Anybody can do that but a life of faith guarantees extraordinary. A life of faith, it it promises that it ain't going to be ordinary. It ain't going to be safe out there in the journey of faith. It ain't going to be safe, but it's going to be extraordinary. Yeah, you say, but Pastor, I'm I'm an ordinary person. I'm (laughs) I'm nobody. Well, so was Abram. Until he entered into a covenant with an extraordinary God. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. You don't even have to pack your bags to go. You just go. You do what God says. He'll pay the way. He'll pay the passage. He already has. So Abram... Is obedient. Let's talk obedience. Abram is obedient to go. He got his stuff and he took off. He left all his father's home and the comfort and the little village that they had set up and he took off as a nomad to live in a tent. But he brought Lot with him. Now, Lot was his nephew. I guess his brother had died and Abraham started looking after his nephew probably became like a father to him. And so Abram is trying to probably trying to do the right thing. Taking Lot along as as one of his own family but God had said leave your native country your relatives and your father's family. And partial obedience is not what God is after. But he went and that's a good start. Cuz most people never even go. And I want you to know on your journey of faith you will make mistakes. You, you may start out cattywampus like Abram did. But at least you went. You will make mistakes, but at least you went. The lot decision would cost him a lot in the end. But that's all right. He's on the road. So he gets on the road, and he hadn't been out there long, and guess what happens? A famine strikes the land. People are starving to death. And God tells Abram to go to Egypt to escape the famine. And a lot of people right there say, "Uh Uh-huh, see, I knew this life of faith wouldn't work first thing I did, I stepped out in faith and looked, God smacked me down. This life of faith don't work. A famine. They say life of faith doesn't work. But they just said what they believed and that's what happened. They got what they believed. So they did get what they believed. Jesus never said our life would be trouble free. You know what? That famine would have come More than likely, whether he was stepping out in faith or whether he wasn't. If you had the right perspective about it, you'd be like Abraham. And realize that God is helping you escape the famine. A lot of things, that the way we view life is our perspective. You don't know how many things God is doing for you. Jesus said in the world, you shall have tribulation but he didn't stop there. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. If you're trusting me, if you're walking with me, man, we're going to get through this together. Some of you go through hard times in your faith. And you wonder if God is even caring, but He's there with you in that. Everybody is going through those things. But He is helping you stand in the midst of the fire. In the midst of the trial. He's keeping you afloat out there. In your night at sea. It's the way you look at things. Are y'all still thinking real hard, or am I just preaching real bad? Okay. But anyway, like I said, you make a lot of mistakes at first because you don't know God's ways yet. He's just now starting to walk with God. So Abram takes his wife Sarai and they head to Egypt. But right before they get there, Abram thinks to himself, Oh no. Sarah is beautiful. Now he's 75, she's 60-something. I think she's 10 years younger. She's 65, but she is so beautiful that he is scared to go into Egypt with his wife into this foreign land. He said, they're going to see you, Sarah, and they're going to kill me and take you as a wife. So he talks to her and gets her to agree that she's his sister. And so Abram lies. Yeah, she she technically she was his sister. A half sister from another mother or something like that. So and and that's that's a good point. A lot of us do that. It's technically true. I, I don't even know what that means. She was his half sister. So he's playing that card, you know. But so she gets there and sure enough, Pharaoh, king of all Egypt. Gets an eye for her, and he wants to marry her. So he tries to marry her, and God strikes Pharaoh's house with a plague. Him and all his loved ones, and he's like, what's going on? And God speaks to him and says, you better not touch that woman. You better not. And so Pharaoh goes to Abram and says, what have you done to me? Why would you put me in this position? God's going to kill me. He said, you go, take your wife and leave. And here, take some sheep and cattle and some money. Just go. And so, Abram leaves with all this stuff. And you're thinking to yourself, is God blessing Abram for lying? Is Is that the way it works? I knew lying was good. See, some of you. That's why I said that. No. No, Abram is just being blessed beyond his sin. He's not being blessed because he sinned. He's being blessed beyond his sin. Faith partners with God are often blessed despite themselves. Because God knows you're going to make mess-ups and mistakes along the journey. But because your life of faith touches so many other people, the call becomes more important than the individual. If you know what I'm saying. He will bless you despite yourself because you're you're touching other people. It's like if if I goof up on Friday and come up here on Sunday and I'm not right with God and there's no anointing on me, He's not just punishing me, He's punishing you. And so don't, don't mistake God's anointing for God's approval. You can be on a faith walk and you can, you can be a mighty man of God. That's why you see these preachers that can preach a house of fire and they got thousands of people listening to them. And then you find out that they're unfaithful in their marriage or something behind the scenes. And you're like, he was super anointed. I know God was on him. And you're perplexed and you're thinking, why? Well, God was caring about the people. But there was coming a reckoning with the individual sin, it just ain't got there yet. I don't know if this makes any sense. It doesn't make mean that God's okay with your sin. Anyway, Abram and Lot leave Egypt with so much stuff that their servants begin to fight. Well, Lot's animals are drinking all the water. They're eating all the grass. And so there became dissension between the two groups. I told you Lot was going to become a problem. You will end up having to deal with your mistakes. So don't make a Lot. That <laughs> just came down. <clears throat> and so they realized that they were going to have to part ways after all. And so Abram says, Lot... You go ahead and make the decision. Whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. And that was pretty big of him because Abram was the older. Abram was like the father to Lot, but he gave Lot the first choice. And Lot looked over there and saw all the luscious green valleys and stuff, and he headed off in that direction. But see, Abram is building the kind of faith that knows that God will bless him anywhere he goes. See, that's why you see Christians who are really on a faith walk, they can give people all their stuff. They can bless somebody else. They can let them have the first choice on stuff because they know they're going to be blessed wherever they go because God is for you. you turn to Genesis 13. It's right past Genesis 12 in my Bible. <clears throat> Verse 14. Y'all are laugh at anything. That's because you're a happy, joyous bunch full of the Holy Ghost. Genesis thirteen fourteen. And I will say there have been a few times I had to lie because my wife was so beautiful. <laughs> no, I'm telling the truth. All right. Genesis thirteen fourteen. She said, Oh, please. I don't have to say nothing. Your beauty speaks for itself. Genesis thirteen 14. I'm not laughing. Y'all going to get me in trouble. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction. North, south, east, and west. I'm giving you all this land. As far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. Let me ask you something. The nation of Israel, who does that belong to? Palestinians? It belongs to the Jews. Don't be confused by what you see on TV. Palestinians say, I was there first or whatever. This was given as a permanent possession to the people of Israel and if you're confused about why Christians support Israel it's because that's who God chose to bring the old covenant through and Jesus was Jewish and that's who he brought in the Messiah through and they are the apple of God's eye and Christians should support Israel no question about it before I was a Christian I didn't understand any of this and, it, and everybody was saying jokes about Jewish people and all these things. I don't do that anymore. I understand that where that's coming from, that is a darkness in the world. That's how you tell people are not from God, that a people are, are, are coming against what God has blessed. you remember what it said? He said, I will bless you, and I will bless everyone who blesses you, but I will curse everyone who curses you. Do not be against Israel, my friend. The land belongs to Israel. All of Israel and the capital is Jerusalem. No question. Verse uh, 16. And I will give you so many descendants like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you today. As far as you can see, Abram. And see, that's what God will promise you. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can walk it, you can have it. If you'll walk with me, I'll give you all this and it'll be for your descendants lot he wasn't walking with God he chose a different direction he chose to live among bad company and he got in with a bad lot I just can't stop myself okay he never knew when to quit there's there was a A cartoon one time had a guy scratching on a chalkboard. And the caption was, he never knew when to quit. But Lot went the other direction. And he got in, in a town you may have heard of called Sodom. It was right next to another town you may have heard of called Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's in this group. And he's living amongst this. And let me tell you right now. You're going to have a real hard time living a journey of faith if you live in amongst bad company. If you're right there with them, I've been telling them on Wednesday night, sin is contagious. Holiness is not. Come out from among them and be ye separate. So he's living in in a bad company, and all of a sudden, the tables turn against Sodom and Gomorrah, and these other kings, these other kingdoms... Rally against them and destroy them, their, their towns and take Lot captive and all his children and all his stuff. So Lot's over here, not doing right. Abram's walking with God, and Abram hears about Lot. And it would have been easy for Abram to say, Well, he got himself in an own mess. He, done, he brought it on himself. It's not my problem. But he couldn't do that. Why? Because, because Christians can't act like that. If you're walking with God, you begin to feel like God. We could we could look at all... See, that's what happens to a lot of people. They start their faith journey, they get saved, and now all of a sudden they got their nose in the air, and everybody else that ain't walking like me, I don't care about them. And that is the exact opposite. That is a big mistake on your faith journey. <laughs> Because we are called to care about those who are making bad decisions despite themselves. Abram could have said it serves him right. But he was thinking, what would the Lord have me do? When you see somebody making bad decisions, don't put yourself in a place above them. Be willing to get in the fire with them. Let's talk about love. Y'all ready? We didn't talk about comfort. What we talked about? Obedience. We don't, y'all paying attention, aren't you? Let's talk about love. See, Abram risked everything to go after Lot. He went after him. He's, go, he's, he's going to battle against four kingdoms. That's just one little household. He's got 318 men. But he goes after him because extraordinary supernatural life of faith can only be fueled by one thing. L O V. That's the only thing that powers this life of faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You will never have true faith without an underlying motivation of love. Love fuels faith. Look at your neighbor and say, love fuels faith. That's why I love you. (laughs) You know, I said that part. When you lose your lot, you better have more faith in just what you know. You better have faith in who you know. You're going after four kings with 318 men, but Abram finds himself thinking like Jesus. For greater love is no man than this than he lay down his life For his friends. See, we see Abram here. He's got to the place in his faith he's willing to lay down his life. At the end of his life, we see him willing to lay down the life of his son. Which I think is harder. Don't you? But now we see him he's already to the place he's willing to lay down his life for his friends. That's what faith does. Because it's the love that builds in this faith journey. You can't walk with Jesus without His love beginning to pour out on you. So Abraham pursues the enemy. and God gives him a resounding victory. He's got 318 men. they got four kings. Four ungodly kings. And Lot is saved. If you're going to choose this extraordinary, supernatural life of faith, you better get used to seeing miracles. I tell you, I live them every day. I do. I see God's hand at work at everything I do. I know God doesn't hardly go a day without touching me in some sort of way and just saying, I'm here with you. I got you. And I see around me faith, miracles everywhere I turn. (laughs) Do you have love? Course, everybody here is gonna say, Yes, oh I got love. Him. Oh, I'm I'm a loving person. I I love my husband. Do you love them just as long as they're making you happy? Or are you do you still love them once they stop making you happy? <laughs> Don't be so honest over there. The divorce rate in the church would suggest that we know very little about God's kind of love. It would suggest that the church isn't walking this supernatural life of faith. That many in the church are just loving with their natural kind of love that just loves you long as you're making them happy. True love is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. In fellowship with God. It calls you to live a sacrificial life. That means, mm, I don't want to, but I'm going to do it for love's sake. It asks, what can I do for you? It asks, how would this make them feel if I do this? See, that's how I know Angie's the lovingest person I know. Because everything I say, she's she's thinking, is that gonna hurt somebody's feelings? And and every every decision she makes in the church or whatever about how she's going to do this program, she's thinking about your feelings and making sure that nobody gets offended and all that. She will offend you if it's for the right sake, but she don't want to. I'm telling you, that's what love does, though. It considers other people. It doesn't just, well, this is right and I'm going to do it because I think it's right. And we always think we're right. It cares about potential in others. Not even if they're not if they're not even doing anything right. They could be going in the wrong direction, but God gives you eyes to see potential in them. You recognize who you used to be, and you say, I can I can see them doing this. Like Mrs. Williams, my English teacher. Saw this little knucklehead kid out there with them burnt rental shades on. And saw potential in me and inspired me. To wake up, love gives you the victory over a million ungodly kings. You'll always have ungodly kings coming against you in this life, and it gets a lot saved. You'll get you'll get that one in a minute. <coughs> Do I have to explain it? I didn't. Okay. It just went funny. one. When you take those shades off, you stop sleeping through class, you stop just living ho hum waiting for the bell to ring, you take this journey of faith, you might even start making some A's, might even start dressing better, you know. Realize that there's more to life than just beating on a guitar, although I still beat on a guitar, but I do it for a different reason now. And little did I know that this little teacher at Whitehaven High School saw something in me that would become what I do. I am a writer. She noticed my gift way before I did. She inspired me to use my gift and see more about what I could do in this life. And God sends people like Mrs. Williams across your path. People that will see your potential when you don't even see it. When you ain't even caring about it. And they will speak into your life. And they'll send preachers like me here today to encourage you. Don't be ordinary. Don't sleep through life. Take your shades off. Come into the light. I recently was talking with my pastor, Pastor Vickers. He's your senior pastor from Montgomery. And uh, we were talking about something, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I emailed him this. I said, Pastor Vickers, I've never been afraid to fail because I'm used to that. I've always been afraid to succeed. I know it doesn't make sense But God has given me the capacity and faith these last few years to begin to believe for something far greater than I could have in the past. And I'm finding I'm no longer afraid to succeed. It's such a freedom. I said I'm expecting it and welcoming it now. Not just small success, but a worldwide God-sized success. It's because I'm trusting that it will be all His doing and not built on my feeble shoulders. I'm just along for the ride. And my only part is to be obedient one day at a time. And God showed me I can do that. I can love. I can be obedient. I can just do what i got to do today and hold on for the ride and trust that God can do the work through me. And then he responded this in his pastorly wisdom, his many, many years in the ministry. He said, so good, guy. And believe it or not, what you just shared, so many deal with, they just don't admit it. There is a ton of responsibility in success and virtually none in failing. Men especially face this deep within. One of the reasons most never follow their dreams Or reach for more. Some of us are afraid to succeed. And it's more comfortable sitting in the Barca lounger of ordinary. In our video clip that we watched, the old man's praying that his life would be counted worthy for the one who gave his life for him. And that's all I'm asking you to do today. There was one who gave his life for you. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and say I didn't give Him everything. That I didn't go all in, whole hog, however you want to describe it, however the many ways that I have said it over the past few years. Despite the hardships, despite the setbacks, the famines, the mistakes that I'll make along the journey, I want to live a life for extraordinary, supernatural, faith in the one who died and gave his life for me. So remember Jesus and step into that life.